Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Hello, we are back with part two of our discussion of the 90s by Chuck Klosterman. I am Alyssa. I work in the reference department. I realize I haven't told people who I am for quite a bit. They just think you're the mystery podcast. Apparently, (laughs) yeah. And we are here with Brianna. All right, so he has an idea of capitalism versus consumerism. How in the 90s, everything was against consumerism and being thought of as a consumer and buying into things. Where today, it's the same notion, just rebranded as being against capitalism in popular culture. Yes, I thought that was a really surprising designation because... At first, he talks about how we feel like everything has also always been about Mm -hmm. capitalism. But in reality, it it makes sense that that 90s lens is more about, like, consumerism in terms of, like, the social concern with people being marketed and being marketed to Mm -hmm. and how that had sort of taken over a lot of their existence. And that makes a lot of sense based on what he says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting look at how... It's kind of like how thoughts and ideas get repackaged in different ways. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He talked about how, on the surface, both ways of looking at the world seem like strains of cynicism, is what he says. But that commercialism, like hating commercialism, is actually more optimistic because there's a premise that like things have merit mm-hmm. in and of themselves rather than just for what their value is as like a product and like creating something part of the capitalistic machine yeah. as uh, the modern teens talk about. Is that really yes. what teens talk about? It is what teens okay. talk about. All right. We're just going to project teen. that. I am the teen. I do work with the teens. Yeah. I mean, the ones that we see talk more about Five Nights at Freddy's recently yeah. than about capitalism. But admittedly. It is a trend yeah. with a lot of, I, I feel like I see a lot of it on social media and internet blog posts and those kinds of things yes and then after this he goes into country music so he talks about belly ray cyrus and his mullet and achy breaky heart i love this because i grew up with hannah montana and to us billy ray cyrus was just her vaguely cool dad with like a soul patch yep that is so interesting my household watched every single episode of hannah montana now, was it for you, or was it because of your parents also? Um, it was because my dad yes. loved Hannah Montana. He found Rico the funniest person oh, on television. Oh, you did say that. Oh, he was pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And this is where the generational celebrity part of this book has been interesting, is when you look at the people in the 90s who started things and created like this sort of dynasty of fame. Yes. So like we have Billy Ray Cyrus and then we have Miley Cyrus mm-hmm. and her family and the whole, and then we have the OJ Simpson trial that we get to talk about. And then you have Robert Kardashian and now we have the Kardashians. Yes. And it's interesting to see how they grow out of that mm-hmm. initial nineties popularity. Since this is as we like learn in this book, when that sort of fame began. Yes, and then he also talks about Garth Brooks. Oh, yes, yes, Garth Brooks. I do love Garth Brooks. I didn't realize that Garth Brooks was, like, arguably one of the most famous people on the planet at the time. Yes. That's so interesting. Yeah, that was another section of the music in my household. It was, like, Garth Brooks, Shania Twain, The Chicks, Leanne Rimes, um, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill. 
all of them. I loved, my favorite part of it was at the end where he's like, and then Garth Brooks got way too into method acting and wore a wig and pretended to be someone else and it got weird. <laughs> I remember the soul patch. It was like that, wow, I cannot believe that happened. That sounds yeah. so like something you would make up for reality television. That was like the good era of country music. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and then he goes into the Seinfeld versus Friends. Oh, yes. Um, my household was a Seinfeld household. We still watch Seinfeld, like, every day. Oh, really? Yeah. It's oh on reruns God. on, like, TBS and stuff. We watch it all the time. My parents loved Seinfeld. Apparently, my dad was watching Seinfeld when I was born. Oh, Yeah. Fun. Apparently, that he was a little distracted, and they had to be like, can you pay attention? Your child <laughs> is coming into the world. But yeah, I know my parents loved Seinfeld, and they still talk about how much they love Seinfeld. I have never actually watched any of it. I My sister was very invested in Friends, though. It surprised me in a way because Friends has had a cultural legacy with, I'd say, people in like their 30s and under right now. I could care less about Friends. I don't care about it at all. I never had any interest in watching it. See, that surprises me. I feel like most people of your your demographic, it's like Friends. They do, and they go on about it all the time. I'm like, no, I don't care. Yeah, Seinfeld is kind of better because they're all awful people and just did awful (gasps) things all the time. Well, and that's the most interesting thing about this section to me is that they, Klosterman says basically it didn't matter what the content was. Like the TV slot for the shows was what really mattered. Oh, 100%. And that blows my mind that it's less about the quality of the television program. And I think that's where the legacy of now comes into Mm -hmm. play. Because the shows that are, I mean, admittedly, you have the cult classic nostalgia factor that like carried Friends through. But there has to be something you have to admit about Friends if people today are still choosing to watch it when it's not just about where it's positioned on TV and what's on when they most want to watch TV. Yeah. Uh, Friends is just not for me. That's fair. And that's... We all know I have strange tastes in Yeah, Alyssa's got interesting content opinions. We do. (laughs) But really, like, that's how it was. Like, if you miss something, you weren't seeing it again. Right. That is the most, like, interesting takeaway from this to me, was about that whole idea of, like, where television is placed and how, like, Thursday night was the night for these shows Mm -hmm. because the assumption is the demographics of, like, young people but still adults who would be interested are more likely to be home, Mm -hmm. whereas on the weekends they'll probably be out, they'll have plans, they won't be home to watch it. And I feel like we're so past that era. It's easy to forget that that's how television used to be. I think... I feel like for me, I would watch television shows more if they were still in that structure. Yeah. That's why I don't really watch things that are streaming so much. But like the new Doctor Who came out and I was like, I gotta be home. I can't miss it. Because in my brain, if you're not home at that time, it's not existing anymore. And I think my brain still works in that mindset. Interesting. Where I would prefer like cable television once a week you have to wait you come up with your weird theories in your brain of what's going to happen and then like the next week comes and it's not anything what you thought and like that's more interesting to me than the like instant streaming you can watch everything all at once and i think that's why i don't watch a lot of television shows Hmm. i watch more television shows than i do movies but i think that's but I also watch television shows, like, I'll watch them, like, while I'm eating dinner. Right. Yep. And it's, like, one a day. Like, right. yep. I don't just binge watch things. 
Same. And I think it kind of comes out of that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. See, I feel like mine is sort of opposite, which is that I feel like I don't miss those days of television. I remember it enough from like my early childhood, specifically in the way that mine was less about what was on at night and mm-hmm. more that because I was younger when this was still the case, I remember getting ready for school and we'd be up in the morning mm-hmm. and I remember we'd always watch like whatever was on at 6.30 and then 7 and it was always some kind of children's cartoon. I remember one of them was Brandy and Mr. Whiskers. That sounds very specific. But it was about this like dog and rabbit and they were humanoids. Um, but anyway, my sister and I would watch that every morning while we got ready for school because that was just what was on mm-hmm. at that time. But now that I'm an adult, I feel like I know a lot of people who will just put the TV on and watch whatever. But I don't, I don't love the passive consumption i feel like that was part of that complaint of the 90s mm-hmm. that they talk about is just well whatever's on tv you watch whatever because you didn't really have other options there was no way to choose what you were really watching and i like that now we can sit down say we're going to watch an episode of whatever show we're currently in the middle of watching stop when we're done and do other things like i don't feel like i'm just getting sucked into whatever happens to be on the television that i feel like was more the case when i was younger and then what led to less fulfilling entertainment experiences i see it's odd because i feel like even when i put something on like at a random time say i start something at like 3 23 i'm looking at the clock being like oh there's only 40 minutes left and there's not but in my brain there is because it's hour. wow i've never looked at it that way at least not in a very long time and see that that ties and i'm like very much like oh i can't pause it i have to (laughs) bolt to the bathroom and back so i don't miss too much like right yes that's actually a really interesting point huh and it to me it it also ties it's like technically different concepts but Mm -hmm. they overlap here when he talks about movie franchises in that sense of like the other thing was that you had to go to theaters to see this movie because again there was no streaming Mm -hmm. and i my favorite takeaway was when he talked about how to to see the preview to the phantom menace people were going to a movie and just watching the preview and then leaving and not watching the actual movie just because they wanted to see this preview and i think today we forget that because we live in a world where you can just search up the previews to whatever Mm -hmm. movie you want to see the preview for on youtube and marvel is a big one like that people will like hunt down those previews and that that is an interesting uh thought that i had never had about the airing of movies at this time and i will say that was one of the more interesting sections to me too was about the titanic and i love titanic all of Uh, that (laughs) listen my household has a weird relationship with the titanic we only watch the second half we don't care about the first half really yeah no literally if the titanic's like on television because we're a television household my dad We'll wait till the boat's sinking. If it's any time before the boat's sinking, Titanic's off the television. He's going to watch plane disasters, whatever. Wow. But if the boat is starting to sink, then we can watch Titanic. See, I can't. We're a messed up family. I can't. Yeah. See, mine's the opposite. Like, I have seen it in full when I was younger, but I will not rewatch it because, like, that, I have anxiety through that entire section of the film because I know the boat's going to go down. And I'm like, I don't like to watch it happen, you know? Like, it, the trauma is just stressful. And then it goes into kind of Leonardo DiCaprio as a person. That was so funny. I will say, I love Romeo plus Juliet with all of my heart and soul. Not particularly for Leo, but because it's the best depiction of Mercutio I've ever seen in my entire life. Valid. Valid. 
I remember that. That's See, I don't think I always connected that Leonardo DiCaprio to the Leonardo DiCaprio of today, you know? Like, there's such a disconnect in my brain between those two people. Isn't he in Inception? He is in Inception. I confuse that with The Matrix, which is oh. also talked about yeah. in this book. No, The Matrix is Keanu. Yes, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I think Leo's just a personality more so now. Right. He does this climate stuff. He is the great Gatsby in my brain. Yes, that was also a very good one. Yeah, and then it goes into The Matrix. It made me want to watch The Matrix. I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it either, but I remember the culture around it. Yeah. Like, in pop culture when it came out. It seems fascinating, and I'm intrigued by the way that that Klosterman talks about the the red pill and the blue pill Mm -hmm. and the way that it was, like, this idea of reality in life, and that was really cool. And then we go into more of the horrors of the 90s. So you have the Oklahoma City bombing and the Unabomber. Mm-hmm. And I found it fascinating that the Unabomber essentially got caught because his brother went into the library, was like, I want to read this manifesto. Yep. And she was like, oh, here's the internet. Yep. And he was like, oh, this sounds exactly like my brother's reading style. And that's how he was caught. Yeah. Look at us librarians saving the day. Yeah. <laughs> Always. This is also where it kind of goes into, like, the immediacy of broadcast news. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, again, goes back to the, you could only watch things when they were on. Mm -hmm. So, if the news was on every channel, everyone was watching it instantly. Yep. And the prime example of this is O.J. Simpson in the white Bronco going down the highway. Yeah. I found it surprising that he says that that's one of those cultural memories for people. I know a lot of people talk about, like, where were you during 9-11? Mm-hmm. But do people really think about where they were during the O.J. Simpson? Yes. That's fascinating. Yeah, we have discussions about it occasionally. Interesting. Like, I don't remember it, but my family has strong opinions hmm. of what happened. Interesting. And I, re- like, vividly remember the footage of the chase like watched later on yeah but i remember it like being talked about i loved how (laughs) klosterman talks about how people would like change the channel or they change the news stations Mm -hmm. or whatever from what was it was something like pretty dramatic on like a show of some kind and instead they would change it to this like 40 mile per hour car just driving (laughs) down the road and somehow that that like spoke to the american psyche that that was what people were interested in watching at that time yeah well you think like cops was also becoming a show during this time i have vivid memories of my family watching cops interesting that's a good point and then He also discusses the idea that um, bullying could be blamed for absolutely everything. Yeah. Which is interesting. I don't know if it's in society now, but I feel like it's something that's still brought up a lot. Yeah, I think particularly as our technology has become more um, influential in the lives of kids and and teens, it's become much more common for people to to talk about like cyberbullying. And mm-hmm. I think that when we were in school, that became such a big deal um, and such a highly talked about thing. And I think it still happens. I just think it's harder because the fact that we've tried to address it has made it harder for kids to take seriously mm-hmm. sometimes. And I think it just happens without yeah. our ability to change that. And then something a bit more fun, Oprah. Oprah. I love it. I, do you remember Oprah's show at all? Yes. Yes. 
Honestly, most of my knowledge of Oprah is from the fact that I watched Drake and Josh as a child. And Josh oh, Peck, yeah. his character was obsessed with Oprah. And so I thought about that because there's the episode where he goes to the Oprah show mm-hmm. when they have it. And so I think that was at that point in my childhood that I went, you know what? I need to know what this Oprah thing's all about. So I like watched some of the Oprah show and it is it is interesting. She yeah. is a phenomenon mm-hmm. with her book club and everything. It's It's crazy. And I enjoy how you talked about how Oprah is one of those beloved people in society. Yep. I remember the Oprah show. I remember, like, going over relatives' houses and Oprah being on. I remember watching the Backstreet Boys on Oprah. Yeah, and with Oprah, I think you had so many cultural, like, touchstones. Like, Tom Cruise jumping on the couch. Oh, yeah. And then her as a person, you have the memes now of, like, the you get a car and you get a car yes. and that commercial she had where she's like i love bread oh, yes i forgot <laughs> about that <laughs> i think she's still around and like is just one of those people that is instantly recognizable in yes. american society at least yes she is she is like a phenomenon in that way her book club to this day we still hear about that yeah yeah and then one of the most major people in the 90s bill clinton I found the Bill Clinton section most fascinating by how Chuck Klosterman takes a very today approach to discussing all of the issues. Yes, that's true. Because I feel like until five-ish years ago, it still was discussed in the terms that he discusses in the book, where it was like Monica Lewinsky was just like, it was kind of her fault. But now it's such that we see her that she was a victim as... She always was, but it's just society didn't approach it that way. Right. Yeah. There wasn't that level of of understanding. Things were so much more assumed at the Mm -hmm. time that that, I don't know, it's it's interesting because to me, I feel like people our age don't really tend to have opinions on him so much as they dress up as Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky for Halloween. Yeah. And that is almost like the, you know what I mean? The like Mm -hmm. pop culturification of his memory in that way. I think a lot of the generations now also just see him as Hillary's husband. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Where I feel like I don't necessarily remember his presidency when he was in office, but I do remember like culturally, like you knew the president was Bill Clinton. Yes. Mm-hmm. Type of a thing. To end the book, uh, Chuck Klosterman goes into the Y2K bug. Yes. I vividly remember Y2K. Do you? I remember my cousin going out and buying like a 500 pack of batteries because he thought everything was going to turn off. I listened to a podcast. I forget what it was called. I think it was just called like Y2K. But it went into like various things that happened at the turn of the millennium and yeah. like talked to people who like worked in IT are very much on the side that like things were averted because all of the time and energy were put into fixing things. Right. And then talked to people who like legitimately believed it was the end of the world. Yeah. And then talked to other people who were like, it was just a thing. Yeah. I found it interesting that Klosterman talks about how there was this, like, that assumption of, Mm -hmm. okay, was it the fact that we prepared so much that made it such a non-issue? 
or was it just that it was going to be mm-hmm. a non-issue from the start? And it's interesting that they he talks about how there are some other countries that didn't really prepare where nothing much happened. But at the same time, I think they probably weren't as reliant on all of this technology as the United States was. Like yeah. the scale that we were, I think, makes a difference. But also my favorite quote from him was where he said um, something along the lines of, did people think that if the clocks thought it was 1900, all the computers would just like bleep out of existence (laughs) and just disappear because all of them just thought they shouldn't exist anymore, which I thought was pretty funny. I also think about it in terms of, I feel like anytime it turned over to a new millennium, this is just how people act. So you were there in 999 AD? No, but like... People, like, that's what people do. Like, if you look back in history, like, every time, especially, like, centuries. Oh, yeah. Like, if you mark the end of, like, a century or from 1899 to 1900, people panic. Yes. They're like, it's end world, it's end times. Yes. So something has to come up about it. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Very true. It's a very human thing to be like, this is the end. Yeah. The end of the world as we know it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Do you think we'll yeah. see the turn of the next century? Do like, you, will we be living? Yeah, for 2100. Probably not. If you'd want to be. Interesting. I would be 108. Ooh, that's a lot of years. Yeah. Not many people make it to that point. Ooh. Klosterman has the Twin Tower attack on September 11th as marking the end of the 90s. Yep. And I feel like that's a fair assessment. Yes, and that's that's something he says that definitely makes a lot of sense in the very beginning of the book is that obviously you can consider ni- the 90s as 1990 to 1999, but it makes a lot more sense to think about the sort of social and bigger picture events that more framed the period rather than just distinct years that are a little mm-hmm. pointless because our perspectives and the way we live our lives don't always change just because of a date on the calendar. So it makes sense that 9-11 created a new society and it changed so much of the way we exist and interact Mm -hmm. with the world that I think that makes sense as a breaking off point. I agree. Yeah. Because I remember it really is like a defining breaking point in everyone's lives. Because like I vividly remember when they happened and I remember life before and I remember life after. Yeah. And they were different. So, what was your favorite thing that you learned from the book? Oh, you know, I think it's it's pretty weird to say, but I was most intrigued by all of the sports stuff. Like, I thought it was most interesting to see how the way that, particularly, I guess, for the fun details of how sports changed, but also for that bigger picture we talked a little bit mm-hmm. about of how do our ways of experiencing the world how are they impacted by how certain we can be about truths or about what has really happened and how we experience it Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting to look at the 90s as this time when we're bridging into the new a new time when you can find things out for certain a lot more easily than you could then and you could reliably experience things in more real time. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the biggest takeaway for me is that it's as those things are coming to pass and it's a transition period from what we had before to what we have now. I enjoyed learning more of the factual basis behind the things that I remember. Mm, yes. Because I remember things happening, but I don't think... I was too young to have a concept of like critical thinking. Yeah, that's so. valid. 
I like knew they happened and I have like memories of certain things that happened, but it was nice to get like more of a factual basis right from it. And then do you wish anything had been included in the book that was not? Oh, that's a good question. I wish there was more exploration. I know funnily he talks a bit about consumerism and commercialism. Mm -hmm. I would have found it interesting to talk about some of the like more of the products of the nineties and like, I know for us, because we were young, like the toys and the mm-hmm. different inventions and things that like were so big then, I would have found it interesting to learn more about their origins, whether it be, I know a lot of them existed before, but the things like the Furbies and mm-hmm. like all of those sort of interesting toys that were big then. Yeah. Yeah. Products. No, I agree with that. As when we were talking before, I found it curious that he didn't go into like mall culture. Yes. Oh, yes. The yeah. mall. You're the mall right. Culture. And then personally, I was very sad that pop-up video didn't get mentioned because oh. I loved pop-up videos. Fair. You just watch the video and they would give you little facts. It'd be like, this clock cost $5.99 at Kmart. And you're like, yes, this is the best knowledge ever. Yeah. I loved pop-up video. I watched yeah. it all the time. But I think mall culture would have been a big one to discuss. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming out to discuss the book anytime if you have any questions comments anything at all please let me know or if you have book suggestions for next year also let me know and you can do so by calling the library at 570-348-3000 or by emailing me at aloney at albright.org that is a-l-o-n-e-y at albright.org thank you Mm -hmm.